Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Cameron Noller. We recorded this a few weeks ago over Skype, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. Thanks to everyone who came out to my Old Town School of Folk Music Clawhammer Workshop last Sunday on Anticipated Notes and Ghost Strokes. I'm teaching one more with them this Sunday called Slides from Every Angle, a topic I'm very passionate about. I hope to see some of you there. Sign up now. I put some links in the show notes for this episode. Shout out to Daniel Cottrell, Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporter. Thank you, Daniel. I hope I'm pronouncing your name at least close to correctly. Your help means a lot, especially right now when the show takes so much more effort to produce. And thanks to everyone who chips in to help Get Up in the Cool happen every week. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash getupinthecool, linked in the show notes for this episode, and choose a level that works for you. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Cameron Noller. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Thank you. 
That was beautiful. That was so lovely. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Cameron Noller, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what? Tunes? Was that a little medley there? Yeah. It was. I hope that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, the um, Mm. first one, Old Beach Leaves, as you know. And uh, the second is an original tune that I think fits well. It's a three-part tune that I call Sonora Road. And, um, how do you spell yeah. how do you spell Sonora? What and what is that? Uh, uh, Sonora S O N O R A Road R O A D, and that's um, it's the town that I grew up in. That's another uh, apparently back in the day, around the turn of the century or before. That was its um, its name for logistical reasons, as like a mm. bridge from Arizona to California. So gotcha. Yeah. And you're in Texas now, right? I'm in Texas now. Yeah, I'm in Houston. Yeah, I uh, I need to come down to Texas sometimes. Like my impression is that there's a lot of like trad players there, but they're but maybe that they're pretty spread out <laughs> because Texas is uh, so big. <laughs> it's so true. It's really interesting because um, you know it's it's like uh, what I grew up or what I grew up playing was not bluegrass or trad but when i first kind of came into acoustic music more globally it was just there's a i mean there's a really active bluegrass scene the bay area bluegrass association is Mm. like in a suburb of houston um but then like you said trad in houston is just like pretty much non-existent but there is some overlap more more overlap with you know texas fiddling in old time as opposed to bluegrass in old time sure Um, As you would imagine, Austin um, has a nice string band. The Austin String Band Festival, that kind of thing. Yes. So that's where I go if I want to play tunes with people, pretty much. What were you playing before you were playing traditional music? Yes. uh, It kind of came... So I grew up playing, you know... And listening to like hair metal music, like great, uh, like who? Guns Get, drop some names. Guns and Guns and Roses was like Lovely. was it for me. Like like I got a cassette tape of Appetite for Destruction. I remember that was like my first like holy shit moment with music, mm. where my just my world was exploded. Um, and it was just like the sound of that electric guitar through a Marshall through a car speaker, and there was something yeah. about that. And later too. I figured that I figured out that like they always tune down, and so that's a mm. feature of uh, like a half step. So that was like my first thing, and and it was always just like I don't know if you can relate to this in your own musical trajectory, but when you're doing something and you don't see a future in it, it's just doing something to edify uh, restlessness. Or, Absolutely. <laughs> That's very um, relatable to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I was dealing with, uh, with with the electric guitar. And um, yeah, like one time this neighbor came over with an acoustic guitar and I sat down to jam with him and I realized that like my learning, which I had teacher, uh, he was, you know, teaching me these Guns N' Roses songs. I realized like I had no chordal knowledge. Like I couldn't like jam with, you know, whatever song he was playing so that's what led me down the acoustic rabbit hole and for whatever reason almost like people who 
go from digital photography to analog photography, somehow it connects them more. And so I was more inclined to think about tone and all these things. And that's really where I started getting serious was when, um, well, there's a whole story about how I came to bluegrass music, but uh, if you want to go down that, that yeah, I do want to go. How about play play us another tune and then tell us the whole yeah. story. This is what we're yeah, going to do. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, let me take a look here. All right. Are we do, are we doing Welcome to the Jungle next or <laughs> uh, Sweet Shot of Mine and Night Train Medley? Oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, but you uh, you spoiled the bonus track. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn how to play Sweet Child of Mine for my last, um, s- like, salaried job as, like, an after-school music teacher. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, wow. I, that was the only time I've ever learned any Guns N' Roses. I was like, am I doing this right? <laughs> Wait, did you have to learn the whole song? Like no. from start to finish. I just learned the riff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I feel better now. I, I was just imagining you like having to like make a project of learning the whole thing. Oh God. No. Yeah. Um, I would. I would. I would have had to ask them for more money then. <laughs> I don't think they would have hired me. <laughs> yeah. No. That's that's awesome. Yeah. No. Um, I need to go back and and play that uh, that riff. It's, it's a good one. Yeah, what are we doing next? Um, the the name of the tune. This is another medley. Um, this is um, uh, Tomb Bigby Waltz is how I think it's pronounced. Um, it's spelled Tom Bigby, um, and I'm going to go into uh, Blake's March. Great. I don't think I know either of these. Oh, cool. Yeah, and just for later purposes, this is tuned down. So when you go to play with it, it it's going to look like to mandolin players I'm playing in the key of... Um, oh, yeah, you got out your uh, your little tenor guitar there, huh? Yeah, yeah. So great. this is tuned down, and so it'll be in the key of A, this medley. Okay, great.
That's the, uh, it's a little Those medley. So sweet. Yeah, they're kind of dainty, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> dainty little tunes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's and a, in a, a march. Pair. A dainty little march. <laughs> a, dainty lo- a dainty little waltz before a dainty little march. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't really, that's an interesting point. It doesn't necessarily feel like a march. Like a Coal no. Creek march or something like that. Different kind of march. Yeah. Uh, all right, tell us this, um... Tell us this bluegrass story. Yeah, sure. Um, I was on a uh, like a family trip when I was, I guess I was fifteen, and it was like one of those bus trips uh, where you. Ju- it was across the American West, essentially. So we like started in South Dakota and ended in Salt Lake City, but in the middle of that, we were in Cody, Wyoming, and like there was an itin, you know, like an itinerary type thing. And there was two, there were two options. There was, um, a high school rodeo and oh, wow. a, yeah. So I was like, I kind of had mixed feelings for that. Like I didn't know, like it could go be really awesome or really not awesome. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a, then the other one was just, it said family bluegrass show. And like, um, same get it. yeah so, so i'm like oh okay um and and like we can get into this too later if if it goes that way but growing up bluegrass music and country music in general was just like totally stigmatized um mm. so like, as an like in your family or in your social circles or yeah my family actually yeah so um i was on the trip with my grandparents my grandparents from texas where i'm now live parents in arizona were naysayers of twang right okay so yeah so like like and and, yeah and so it was kind of just like um one of those things where you know when you grow up and there's like these like idiosyncratic parental things that you just don't do um like around your parents that was like for me like listening to you know a country CD. So for bluegrass was like an act of rebellion. Right. Uh, now, yeah. w- w- their perspective on this, was it a, like, w- were they in the, in the demographic that country music is like for, 
or were they like coming at it from like a, yeah. a, a, a heavy air quotes loftier sort of disdain for for that yeah, kind of music? A, like, yeah, right. Why did they I, dislike country and bluegrass music? Well, I think I chalk it up. It, 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 they weren't the demographic it's for. And they're yeah. not, they weren't naysaying it from a lofty position. It was just, it was like, um, I guess it, more the latter. I think, I think yeah. it was, it was, it was seen as like twee, hokey, you know, sure. Beverly Hillbillies-esque TV, you know, this, this, it was an, it was an un- unfounded, um, you know, st- it was a stereotype is really what it was. Sure. And, and, and some of it is stereotypical <laughs> yeah no totally so no and it's okay on purpose it, right we, exactly. that's why some people like it <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah. yeah no i think it was yeah it was there was you know like um yeah that's a really that's a good question a really good question i i think it came from just not them not understanding not sure. understanding it um but yeah their musical backgrounds or listening palettes were you know, completely uh, removed from that. So, so, um, so is there an element uh, to you getting into bluegrass that was like a big middle finger to? Oh mom my and dad? god, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, <laughs> yes. like, no. That that was like the whole thing. Yeah, no, it was. It, oh, I really great. wanted to piss them off. Um, what by doing that? Because it was like, well, you know, there's no sound reason why I shouldn't be listening to this. So sure. Um, so this trip is a perfect opportunity. This absolutely this stop on this trip. Yeah, no. My grandparents, uh, you know, they, they're they didn't they don't listen. They listen to a lot of country music, like you know your grandparent country music, you know, which yeah. is good country music. It's like you know sure. Porter Wagner and um, you know all this early stuff and uh, Johnny Cash and stuff, but. Uh, it never really took on me. So, but, but, you know, I, we go to this family bluegrass showcase and it's really cool. They still do it. The guy's name is Dan Miller. Um, not, yeah, it's either Don Miller. Dan Miller does, is the editor of bluegrass unlimited. Don, I think it's Don Miller. Um, but, uh, he, his daughter, I believe his wife and a family friend, they just have like a, um, four piece, bluegrass thing that's kind of like a tourist uh thing where they bought like an old movie theater and converted it and Mm. um there weren't that many people there but i just like specifically remember them like i think all of their instruments were plugged in so it was kind of like ticky tacky bluegrass like through a pa kind of sound yeah yeah (laughs) to get to paint a picture um but like they played uh like for example they played whiskey before breakfast and that tune specifically just like it was a light switch moment, you know? Um, and like you were saying before about how there is a supposed or a presumed kind of irony when playing fiddle tunes, at least in like the, you know, 21st century where immediately, like when I heard a fiddle tune, I thought of a children's book and and that was the first thing I thought about. Um, makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, after that, um, I, went back to Texas. I sold all my electric guitars and just bought one good acoustic. Yeah. It was one of those. I hadn't had one of those moments before where I just like totally jumped in. Did you have a a period of like, okay, I'm not into electrified music anymore. Like, like I've moved beyond that. 
Yeah, I'm literally just coming out of that right now. I mean, like, (laughs) employment-wise and, like, what I went to school for, I always had to play an electric guitar. So, but it was always, like, you know, jazz art shops where they have these, you know, suspended pickups that don't drill into the guitar. And there's a certain purity about that. But it's, like, you know. um, But, yeah, there was certainly a period where there was, like, the... And this is, you know, this is a perceived term, but not... Nothing's pure, but there's something pure about going what you know the perceived pureness of going into this music and then saying well i don't need electronics um yeah to achieve a good sound yeah i i appreciate you uh clarifying that it's a perceived purity because i think that's a, a lot of the reason why people get into it uh you know bluegrass or, or old time or country or whatever and then you know they start looking into the actual history of it and you know and right uh there's all yeah. sorts of reasons, uh, all sorts of <laughs> explanations for why it's not very pure. Um, but oh I think gosh. those are interesting too. <laughs> you know, so yeah, no, and I think that that there's a stewardship and a responsibility for like self-aware players that I think is um, it makes the music making process so much more embodied. And like, for example, like one thing I, I think about with what I was saying with perceived purity you know instrumental music it doesn't have semantic weight to it sure you know so like whenever i was like in you know playing for example playing a jazz song a standard just like their standard fiddle tunes there are lyrics to internalize and so when you internalize those lyrics you may cosmologically you may not align with it and it may invoke certain aspects of politics or society that you you know are trying to uh build away from so i think that's another that's a a, not a pure you know i'm using air quotes there's something about instrumental music just inherently that invites that but then as you said you dig into the history and it's all but that yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah Um, yeah but yeah that's what i was responding to in the moment was the fact that it's like oh a fiddle tune that kind of sounds like something i heard over an ice cream truck speaker or something sure like that, you know it is yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah okay so somewhere along the lines uh what you do maybe got broader than bluegrass i'm not that familiar with bluegrass repertoire um but i don't i are those tunes bluegrass tunes? Um, the the ones that I just played, the the the, or all of them. I mean, I I yeah, any any or all of them. Yeah, so like old. I don't perceive them to be like other than old Beachleys. I don't perceive them to be typically like old yeah. time like canon if there is such a thing right. either. You know, so that that's that leads us to an interesting. Topic. So the Old Beachley is, of course, a Kentucky tune. Yeah. Um, I believe so. Uh, the Sid Hudnall. I got it via Adam Hurt's uh, wonderful version on Earth Tones. Um, Thanks, Adam. And then, um, of course, the original Sonora Road, which was, is I would say, is more related to the not bluegrass canon, but flat picking canon. Like, that was me trying to channel like Bob Binner or Robert Bolin, who are two favorite, really tasteful, who are old-time sensitive uh, flat pickers, which is an area of interest Old-time sensitive flat pickers. <laughs> right. Great. Yeah. Might be the title of the episode. So <laughs> That would be incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the contender. Yeah, it would be right so, so apt. Um, yeah. Um, 
Blake's March is a is a is a Norman Blake tune, and Tom okay. tune Big B, Tom Big B, is something that I got from the repertoire of James Bryan, um, whom played with Norman extensively, and Norman played on both of James Bryan's records from the early '80s, Lookout Blues and First of May. There so, you go. Yeah. So and, so and that, somewhere in the exactly in the middle there. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely, and and. Uh, the whiskey before breakfast that I heard in Wyoming, I YouTube whiskey before breakfast when I got home, and Norman Blake was the first thing that came up. So luckily, I started with him. By the way, uh, uh, I I looked up. Um, I found a Dan Miller's Cowboy Music Review in K- Cody, Wyoming. Is that it? That's it. It's Dan Miller. <laughs> it is Dan. Okay, I just good. That, to yeah, that's him. Shout out yeah, to Dan Miller. Yeah, shout out to Dan Miller for uh, just, yeah, changing my whole world. Low yeah. key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, let's hear another tune, and then um, I'd like to ask you how you uh, how you got into developing the style of melodic playing that you play. I, I, don't, oh, yeah. I don't listen to that much um, flat picking, but... Yeah. I've heard enough to be like, oh, I feel like you're offering something pretty different here, and I don't necessarily have the vocabulary to explain it, and I'm hoping that you can. <laughs> yeah, that, I would love to. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, what's up next? Yeah, this is um, this is a Congolese uh, rumba tune from Camille Ferruzzi. I hope okay. I'm pronouncing that. Uh, it's Camille, C-A-M-I-L-L-E, Ferruzzi, F-E-R-U-Z-I. Um, and this is the last, at least how I understand it, to be the last tune that John Beckoff played before he passed away. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah. So I What's can it talk. Called? I'll talk. About, it's called a Kuyina. K U Y I N A. And for the, the the future version of yourself, it's gonna feel crooked, but I played it with a metronome, and it's actually entirely square. It's just in two two feel. Okay, cool. Well, thanks. Yes. That, that'll that be helpful. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. 
<laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Have you heard like the original of that or just the John Beckhoff version? Yeah, no, I mine takes mostly from the um, the original. So it, there's guitar on it, um, and there's just incredible um, accordion, or at least how I, the sound I ensure. I don't know how, if it's an actual accordion as we know it, but it sounds very much the same in terms of register. Um, yeah. Huh. But yeah, it's a it's it's if you look at I think it's like 1971 and it's uh, Camille Ferruzzi. I think it's a radio broadcast with his jazz band and it's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah, what a gorgeous tune. Yeah, it has it has a very um, kind of morose, but also like uh, it's kind of a, a a joyful morose and joyful. Yeah, I feel yeah. both of those things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's weird because the the rhythm is so um, you, you know it's it's so you know unyielding um, in that way, and so it's like kind of very lifelike. Then, but the chord progression is just very, and there's so much open space too. And I and and thinking about hearing that and playing it, it really gives insight into you know how John Beckoff thought about rhythm in general. And of course, that's a pretty problematic topic to talk, to say that you know these white old time fiddlers that you know learn from um, African sources. I can specifically say what I feel like he was responding to, and I think. It was yeah. true for he was very he very much like North Georgia old time, which is yes. felt it's very much felt in two two, which I feel in Camille Ferruzzi's jazz band, and I think he was conceptualized his emphasis very much on one and three, and so that kind of gave me some insight into how he plays fiddle as a non fiddler. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So- uh, yeah. You know, there, the amount of uh, flat picking or melodic guitar playing, like recordings in the, once again, heavy air quotes, like old time canon, uh, yeah. there, there's not a lot there. Like when you're developing your arrangements of tunes um, or when you're jamming and playing melodies, like is there some sort of archive somewhere that I'm not familiar with or are you listening to a lot of fiddle music and interpreting other instruments and figuring out how to put it on the guitar? And if so, how? (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of my, so a big formative record for me was Kenny Smith. Who's another like Robert Bolin and Bob Minner. Um, is a very, what I call a scent, like a sensitive flat pick or someone who's really, you hear them listening to fiddle music. Robert Boland played fiddle for Bill Monroe in the nineties. And Hmm. so, and he was a fiddler his whole life. Norman Blake also a fiddler and learned playing old time backup guitar for his cousin. So those are the people that I sought out intuitively or like what I liked most about bluegrass when I was playing it. Um, But in terms of like an archive or a canon or how I might approach it, I think that for me, listening to Kenny Smith, he has a record called Return and there's a track building the low ground on there and there's Clawhammer Banjo. And I immediately heard the Clawhammer Banjo and I just thought it was the best sounding thing in melodic 
uh, it it sounded like what it had this this dance ability that the guitar was what was removed from. I wasn't able to articulate that way. Later, I figured out that was like that was Adam Hurt playing on that session, and so hmm. a big uh, thank you to Adam Hurt. I picking up the banjo I studied with him and I really really like his attention to re regional rhythm um and you know his his preferred fiddle styles and he really has come he's come up with a logic that he uses himself top down for how to um approximate what a fiddler's doing yeah. um with what he calls stride and his, you know, use open strings when possible. Um, the idea of alternate finger or alternate string pull-offs using fifth string um, with, you know, kind of conservative clucking, that kind of approach. Yeah. Um, it was studying with him for, for about a year that really kind of reshaped how I came back to... Um, flat picking guitar and to answer your question I, I really don't really i don't look to a guitar in a specific recording though i will say that norman blake and the rising fawn string ensemble that to me is an example a prime example of how flat picking guitar can further old-time music cool um but but yeah that that's kind of how i how i uh, kind of go about it. Someone like Kenny Smith, for example, who is a bluegrass flat picker and plays bluegrass incredibly well. Him doing fiddle records, his first one being Studebaker, his second being Return, those records feel like bluegrass records. But there's a certain, there's a sensitivity in his melodic sense that I think you hear in like how John Reichman composes a bluegrass band. Yep. With uh, Scott Nagard and uh, who I can't, I don't know who his current guitar player is, but is fantastic. Lovely. Well, I'd love to hear another tune, and then we should talk about your your uh, old time guitar flat picking book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what's next? What are we doing? Well, this is something of a um, almost maybe an expected tune, but I really, really, really like. Um, that uh, farewell try on is a three part oh, tune, and yeah, I record I recorded this one on on my EP, and it was I put it in medley with um, old beech leaves and see which I played in D for this show, but I'm just gonna play um, the three part straight through farewell try on. Okay, can't wait.
I love your beginnings and endings. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. This is never what I think is, is supposed to happen, which is a compliment. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I like giving a broader sense of the harmony and whether it be just dropping a string down or something like that. And, You're um, in drop C, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. I'm At surprised I could talk and actually. Yeah, no, I, um, I could have been genting there or whatever the, the kids call it, you know, like the metal guitar with like the drop G. Genting? Is that what, genting. Is that what the kids say now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a rhythm or, a, or a technique to rhythm. I don't, I shouldn't be using that word. I, it's, 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 <laughs> I'm going to stop there. But yeah, people should just Google what genting is if they don't know what that is. Cool. <laughs> is this a, uh, a not at work Google kind of situation? Or? <laughs> not at work. That, that's a late night. Um, you know, you fell asleep for a little bit, just woke up and you're back on Wikipedia kind of night. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. we have one more tune left, but before we do that, uh, where do people go to buy your music, whether that's, you know, your recordings or your educational resources? Yeah, so um, I have a website, CameronNoller.com. And um, there is just a, a store tab through there, and you can um, access tr- the transcriptions I've done that just exist in ebook format with videos. So when someone buys that, I send them a link to uh, Dropbox, which includes the PDF ebook and the videos. And then my physical book, which um, I have right here, um, oh, great. it is called Guitars Have Feelings Too. And yeah, back to sensitive flat pickers. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's about, what is it? Maybe 220 pages um, of, it's not me telling people how to play flat picking guitar or how to integrate it into an old time framework. It's really an appeal, trying to get flat pickers to listen to more old time fiddlers and learn from okay. them specifically um and so So what's the actual content like page to page what can we expect if we get it yeah so the manuscript itself has shorter musical examples so if there's like a rhythm um you know two measures and below are written into the manuscript and then it's supposed to build um at least i hope so it builds to larger transcriptions that i've done and those exist in the back of the book so, um, but the, uh, the whole approach to the, the book is, um, you know, when, when someone's learning an instrument, they're, they're, they ask questions, like they yeah. approach a new theoretical concept, what to try it. And then they're like, okay, root third, fifth. And then they have that in their mind. And then they may Google or, you know, they look back and like, what's a major third or something. And finally things start to inch in from all sides and eventually you have this this system of knowledge um that works for you and it doesn't have to be theoretical but um for me the the style of writing is such where we're walking along a path a new idea presents itself we're going to explore it but i give them the option to jump ahead so it's 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 a very um it's kind of 
Uh, I don't know if it would come across this way to people on first read, but it came from an experimental kind of place to see what, how, how much can I mess around with the format of a guitar book, which I think is kind of a, a tough medium to teach through. Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, I really appreciate that because... Um, <laughs> you know, you can like read, you know, download a bunch of tabs or buy some tab books or whatever, and then you know how to play those individual tunes in those arrangements specifically. But yes. it seems like what you're offering is something, well, you're offering that, but you're off also offering something a lot more holistic, which is like, let me walk you through the process of building a uh, vocabulary of right. how to play fiddle tunes on the guitar. And that is a much, um, I guess I, I guess I would say a nobler pursuit. <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> and I yeah, appreciate no, that. Yeah, I, I like what you said uh, a lot about arrangements because I look at them as like monoliths. They're like these yeah. immovable things where it's just like I can play Billy the Low Ground, but it's it it it, it only exists in one form. It's not this like you said. It's a, it's not a uh, piece of music that's built of you know uh, linguistic you know, uh, musico-linguistic building blocks that, uh, you know, that can be explored individually and applied to larger ends. Another thing I wanted to say that I, that I think is important is it explores the idea of what a miniature strum, what I call a miniature strum is. So when, when you're flat picking and you play a single note, I want people to meditate on the idea of attaching the same amount of rhythmic weight to individual... Mm pick strokes as strums and so to do that i start by teaching what i think are um players that uh exist as progressive backup players so that would be riley puckett mother maybell carter angie yeah. baxter yeah. um and norman blake so it's yeah. it's trying to approach how to become a better flat picker through becoming a better backup player because i think that that's just a, a topic that needs to be talked about more so you don't want to um, just have have everyone skip to the deedle deedle deedles <laughs> <laughs> no if i can help it um, that's great i i yeah. love that thanks appreciate it um yeah. i i do have one other thing for sale it's not on my website but is it is a lp that is releasing on march oh cool 12th through american dreams records it's with my good friend and collaborator eli winter and it's it's not an old time record though it has a version of Cumberland Gap on it. It is a Great. experimental guitar record. I will put that out there. Awesome. I'm sure yeah. uh, some of my listeners will be interested. Perfect. Well, awesome. Yeah. This was so lovely. Thanks for giving up a little bit of your Wednesday uh, afternoon to do yeah. this. And uh, I can't wait to play some tunes in person someday when it's safe to. Likewise. Well, thanks so much for having me, Emma huge fan of the show and i think it does so much thanks. for the community so thanks for having me on i'm really honored what do you want to do for the last tune i don't know if this is this is an act of treason we uh <laughs> we've opened up door many doors if i can i'll i'll put this i will dedicate this tune to my good friend rachel kraus who um, in collaboration, we are transcribing the entirety of James Bryan's recorded repertoire on his solo records. So we've been in quarantine, just sending, or, you know, like playing. She's actually playing these tunes on fiddle 
I'm yeah. approximating them, but uh, this is one of my favorites uh, from James Bryan. Uh, well, actually, it is a Bill Monroe tune, actually. It is called Monroe's Farewell to Long Hollow. All right. Sh- shout out to Rach, who has an open invitation to come on Get Up in the Cool and talk about all of her super nerdy projects that I'm desperate to hear more about. <laughs> that would be incredible. I would love, it. Yeah. I'd love to listen We've to We've been that. talking. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. Noller's website at CameronNoller.com to buy his flat-picking instructional book, pre-order Anticipation, his new experimental guitar album with Eli Winter, and check out the rest of his discography and teaching resources. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend, or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube, and if you're able, please help fund this podcast by signing up at Patreon.com slash GetUpInTheCool. You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series and check the show notes for links to my February banjo workshops. I got one more this Sunday. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. Again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up In The Cool.